gentlemen, and welcome to the first episode of my podcast. Now, you may be wondering, with all the saturation in the podcast market nowadays, why are you starting this podcast? And to be honest, I don't really know. I got pressured into doing it, I guess. You know who you are. Yes, you. you're probably listening to this right now. You're probably the only one listening to this right now. So yeah, you are literally the only reason I'm doing this podcast. So thank you. Just know that you've caused me a lot of pain. So hopefully you enjoy this. God, if this becomes a daily, weekly thing. Yeah, who knows? Maybe it'll get better. <laughs> uh, I kind of promised that. I released this podcast on May the 4th. Right now it's not May the 4th for you, yes. But it's May 4th somewhere out there. That's now it's 11.57pm on May 4th for me. So technically I haven't broken the promise. But anyways, back on track, shall we? So as of recording this for another three minutes, it is May the 4th, which is a very special day for... A group of people out there. Now, May the 4th is also known as Star Wars Day. And so it makes sense that the group of people are Star Wars fans. Yeah. One of my good friends, he's he's a massive Star Wars fan. He's kind of stolen my sister's Disney Plus account to watch The Clone Wars for the 700th time. I don't really get the hype of it, but... Yeah, then again, I've kind of seen Lord of the Rings 750 times. So I'm not really one to to talk but yeah uh star wars star wars star wars i'm not the biggest fan of it i mean god i can already hear the boobs out there god i'm not even five minutes into recording this podcast and i'm already getting cancelled i should preface i'm not a star wars fan or a star trek fan so please don't crucify me along those lines and yeah so well, if you're if you're listening to this, yes, I know you probably hate me, but doesn't matter. Now that being said, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan, but I have seen some Star Wars properties. I saw the original trilogy when I was about 19 or 20, so definitely took me some time. And I saw one of the some of the one-off movies, and uh, I think I saw Episode Seven. Not great, not great. Yeah, but I am. A pretty big fan of the uh, Star Wars shows they're releasing on Disney Plus. I'm really looking forward to the Obi-Wan show. And uh, yeah, I am a massive fan of The Mandalorian. Now the thing with The Mandalorian is, I don't remember if I got into it because it's a Star Wars property, whether it was because of that or whether it was because of the characters. Now, I think it was because of the characters, because The Mandalorian himself, Dinjarin, Phenomenal design, Pedro Pascal, absolutely loved the guy. He was phenomenal as Oberyn Martell. And yeah, I just feel like uh, his time in Game of Thrones was really short-lived. And I felt like in The Mandalorian, we could explore more of that Oberyn Martell character that, well, that I kind of enjoyed on Game of Thrones. So that's one of the reasons I started watching uh, The Mandalorian. Plus, I mean, the, the helmet and the costume is so incredibly cool. But as I started watching it, my focus started shifting from Dinjarin to uh, 
cuter protagonist, shall we say, to, uh, to Grogu, also known as Baby Yoda. Now, if you have never seen a picture of Baby Yoda, do yourself a favor and Google it. You will thank me later. It's just something... I don't know. Like, Baby Yoda is my favorite Star Wars character at the moment of all time. And he's genuinely one of my favorite characters ever. I mean, it's gotten to the point where I love Baby Yoda more than I love some of my family members. Right? Don't tell this to them, though, please. I'm still trying to get some presents for my birthday. But the thing about Baby Yoda, he's cute, but he's vicious. And that's what makes him so diabolical in a sense because it's it's kind of like the duality of man except in an infant child from one perspective he's cute and chubby and helpless but from another he is one of the most powerful beings in the entire galaxy and the way he's written to express all of that is just phenomenal i mean for a character that doesn't speak the writers have done an amazing amazing job of just developing him through his actions and his movements and his emotions and if you haven't seen the mandalorian i would highly highly recommend it just watch it even if it's just for baby yoda i i can guarantee you you're in pretty good company if that's why you're watching but the thing with baby yoda is he's not the only cute and cuddly character in the star wars canon i mean obviously we have yoda himself who well he's he is you wouldn't necessarily call him cute, but we do have a different species called Ewoks. Now, Ewoks are, well, to reference Barney Stinson, another amazing character, Ewoks kind of split Star Wars fandom into two groups, right? And he devised something called the Ewok line. And if you were born before the Ewok line, you find them to be hideous and you don't see the height of them if you were born after the ewok line you freaking love them to bits thing is though i came after the ewok line but i just don't find them as cute as baby yoda which um following barney's logic means i'm about 50 years old right now but actually i didn't see the original trilogy until i was about 19 or 20 so I guess Nora's exception could apply. Again, if you haven't seen How I Met Your Mother, watch it. Amazing show. But maybe watch The Mandalorian first. Okay, maybe not. Maybe not. I, I don't want to die today. So um, the person listening to this, I apologize for saying you should watch The Mandalorian before How I Met Your Mother. But yes. Once again, I'm very sorry. But, okay, here's the thing, right? Why do people in general find Baby Yoda and Ewoks cute? What is it about them? Well, if we look at them in a broader sense, they share two kind of characteristics, shall we say, that constitute a larger archetype. The first characteristic is the big round googly eyes, and the second is, well, the round face and like the furriness and yeah basically just googly eyes and if we expand that archetype and look a bit wider we find that 
there are several characters out there that actually fit into this archetype of like a big head and big googly eyes. So we have Grogu and the Ewoks from Star Wars. We've got the Gremlins and we've got Chiburashka who's, uh, well, if you were born in an ex-Soviet state and you've seen Krakadil Genen, you will know who Chiburashka is. But for Western audiences, he's, imagine a Soviet Gremlin found in an orange box and he just walks around the streets of Russia, I presume, with a talking crocodile who plays the harmonica. It's a wacky show, but it's amazing as well. Another show you guys should check out. I'm sure you can find a translation on YouTube. Uh, but here's the thing, right? If we look a tiny bit further, we reach this question. What else is small and has big googly eyes? Well, referencing Lord of the Rings again, Gollum. Now, Gollum is a hobbit, and hobbits, by definition, only grow to be about one meter tall. So, he is small in comparison to humans, and he does have big, googly eyes. And to an extent, Dobby from Harry Potter also fits in that archetype of the big, googly eyes. But why is it that we find Baby Yoda and the Ewoks and the Gremlins to be cute? But that same sentiment doesn't apply to Gollum and Dobby. Well, let's look at what constitutes cuteness, right? Because to truly understand it, we need to delve into the psychology of mankind. Now, Conrad Lorenz was a psychologist, for lack of a better word. Um, I mean, I, I'm kind of forgetting the research I conducted here, but Lorenz, psychologist, he kind of studied behavior and emotion and everything. But overall, there's kind of been a consensus about why cuteness is a thing. And that consensus is that throughout history, babies are helpless and need adults to protect them, right? Because, well, adults are the developed ones. We have the muscular strength, we have the height, we have the tools and the overall the fine motor skills necessary to defend them. And so, how did babies get us as adults to protect them? Well, they discovered, kind of, that adults are more likely to protect things that we find cute. And so, because of that, babies kind of evolved to be cute, right? Here's a story. Let's take it back a couple millennia or so to the start of human history. There was a cute baby, and there was... A less cute baby. I'm not trying to get cancelled for calling babies ugly, okay? But, okay, there was a cute baby and an ugly baby. Stick with me. Don't be mad at me yet. There is a reason for the story. Now, here's a quick little fun fact for you, right? The sight of a cute baby activates the orbitofrontal cortex in about 140 milliseconds. What this means is, if you see a baby, your brain realizes it before you even realize it's a baby. Now, what's the significance of it activating the orbitofrontal cortex? Well, this is the part of the brain that's responsible for emotion and decision-making amongst a myriad of other things. So it essentially makes you attached to the baby and it makes them easier to identify. And if they're easier to identify, they're easier to single out in the midst of a threat and protect, right? So you have the cute baby and you have the ugly baby. 
say a pack of saber-toothed tigers just walks into the camp and starts looking for food. Well, the adults grab their spears and they get their shields and I don't know if they had shields, but they get their spears and they start saying go 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 and they start waving the fire. Well, as they're going around, they need to prioritize what to protect, right? The saber-toothed tigers are looking for food. What is the easiest source of food around? Well, if you don't have dead animals, it's obviously going to be the babies because, well, they can't run away unlike the humans and they can't wield the spears, now can they? So in the midst of all this confusion, human decision-making had to be done in a split second. So you look, you see the two babies. You see the cute baby and you see the ugly baby. Well, like we mentioned, a cute baby activates the orbital frontal cortex in 140 milliseconds. You realize that it's a cute baby before you even see that it's a cute baby. And so, instinct, fight or flight, you go straight for the cute baby and you leave the ugly baby to die. What does this mean? It means the cute baby grows up to be an adult. And, well, he will pass those cute baby genetics onto his kids or her kids. And down the line, that filters out the ugly babies and ensures that all babies are cute. Which, well, I mean, look at it nowadays. All babies are cute, right? Uh, so that is the evolutionary reason of why cuteness is a thing. So let's take it back to uh, Conrad Lorenz. He developed this thing called a Kinchin schema in 1949. Now, what is this Kinchin schema? Well, Kinchin refers to children, right? And the schema is essentially a blueprint of knowledge, if you will, about a person, a thing, or an event. So a Kinchin schema is essentially a blueprint for kids and a blueprint for cuteness, if you will. Now, what Lorenz found is that there are several defining characteristics for something to be regarded as cute. And those are, it needs a big head, a small body, a large forehead and eyes, well, in relation to its head, round cheeks, a small chin, a small nose, a small mouth, a round and soft body, and it gets bonus points for wobbly movement. Now, if you look at that, that's basically Baby Yoda to a T. I mean, if you haven't seen Baby Yoda walking, please just go on YouTube and just search it up. This thing is, God, it, it melts your heart. It's incredible. I love him so much. Back on track. Okay, let's just get back to track. If we look at this Kinchin schema, we find that Baby Yoda ticks absolutely all of them. And the gremlins tick a bunch of them, the minions from Despicable Me tick them, Puss in Boots, puppies, kittens, babies. They all fit the Kinchin schema. So, let's take a look at Gollum and Dobby now. Well, do they have big heads in relation to their bodies? Yes. Do they have small bodies? Well, Dobby's a house elf and Gollum was a hobbit. So, kind of, yes. Large forehead and eyes? Absolutely. Massive forehead. Massive eyes. Round cheeks? Ooh. Not really. Because Gollum and Dobby are both really thin and emaciated, so they don't really have those round cheeks. They don't really even have cheeks. Small chin? Well, Dobby's head is literally the shape of a Dorito. I'm sorry, Harry Potter fans. God, I'm being cancelled by Harry Potter fans and by freaking Star Wars fans today. God, 
Well, at least I still have the Lord of the Rings fan base to back me up, right? Until the next episode. <clears throat> we'll see. We'll see you later. Anyways, small chin. Dobby, yes. Gollum? Kind of small nose? No. Dobby's nose is absolutely massive. That thing is like a carrot on a snowman. What about Gollum? Well, kind of. Kind of not. Small mouths? Absolutely not. Round and soft bodies? No. Not even close. And the bonus points for the wobbly movement? Well, yes. Both of them have very wobbly movement, but I think that's kind of beside the point. If you don't satisfy the original criteria, you don't satisfy the conditions required to even be in contention for the bonus points. So, as a result of that, we find babies and baby Yoda to be cute, but Gollum and, well, Dobby too, be a bit creepy to a sense. I mean, Dobby has his moments, absolutely. I mean, when he first, when we first see him in Harry Potter's room, and he's just jumping up and down on the bed, it's kind of terrifying. But then he just looks at him, and then at the end of the movie, when he sees Harry give him a sock, I mean, yeah, he has his defining moments, but for the most part, they don't define him as cute, sympathetic, yes, but not really cute. So, yeah, that is why we don't find Colin and, and Dobby to be cute. So, you're welcome. I probably answered a question which you never even knew you had. So, let's take a look at some fun facts about cuteness, shall we? Looking at cute things makes the brain release dopamine. Now, dopamine is also known as the feel-good hormone. This is why people spend so much time looking at babies and videos of kittens and puppies, because it is scientifically proven to make you happy. So if you're depressed, go watch some cat videos. I think that's, that's essentially what all this is saying. The other thing is, right, The cuter you are, the more likely you are to survive. I kind of explained that earlier on, but the funny thing is, this is even generalized to babies. Even babies want to be around cuter babies, because, well, if you think about the herd mentality, the cuter baby gets all the attention, but then, well, once 10 adults are rushing, only one of them is really going to carry the cuter baby, and then the other nine adults are just going to be like, well, might as well take some of these other babies. So because of that, even babies like cuter babies. The crazy thing is, this was found in a study conducted by an Oxford professor. So even Oxford is saying there is bias in cuteness. I mean, could you imagine? I guess this explains why I like my younger brothers more than my sister. I mean, it's just science, I guess, and psychology. So yeah, nepotism has a biological psychological and evolutionary basis it's kind of crazy to think about but at the same time i guess it isn't but yeah i think that kind of sums up everything i kind of wanted to talk about on this on this episode yeah hopefully further episodes will be a bit weirder but also a bit more fluid so yes Thank you for joining me, 
and uh, have a good night, day, evening, whatever time of day it is. And 